Welcome to the Liberty Podcast. We're so excited that you're interested in the teaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church. We're a multi-site church that exists to share the love of Christ across Northwest Indiana. If you're looking for a church home, please check us out at our website, findliberty.net. Thanks again for joining us as together we're transformed by the teaching from the Word of God. Good morning. I didn't quite know what to expect in this service. Then in the first service, there's 200 ladies from Liberty who are gone this weekend. They're at a retreat, and I didn't know what this would be like. But if you look around in the service, you see there are people of many different generations because this is a family worship Sunday, so you're going to see some people sharing a pew that you might not always see. In fact, some of them are going to be holding these yellow things that say bingo. If You're getting an assignment right now. Before you leave this auditorium, it's your job to meet two people of a different generation than yourself. Okay? So intergenerational churches can do that. And there are some people will be out in the hall then afterwards playing this bingo game, trying to meet you out there as well. So thank you for being here. My son Josh was almost two years old. We lived in Madison, Wisconsin. And he had been outside playing with his brother or by himself. I don't remember exactly what had happened. But all of a sudden, he's in the house crying. And he's holding his arm like this. What happened? What happened? Well, they couldn't exactly say what happened. All he knew is that it was really hurting. So being the caring parent I was, I think I gave him baby aspirin and sent him to bed. And so the next morning, he got up, and he was still crying. And his arm was still hurting. And it was Saturday. So we took him to the weekend clinic. And they uh, did some x-rays. And they thought it was a small fracture in his forearm. And so they put a cast on from his wrist up to his elbow. And they sent him home. And all day he walked around holding that cast and sad. If he wasn't crying, he was sad. He was not doing well. He was in pain. Next day was church. I had two children in the youth group there in Madison who were children of Dr. John Whiffen. Dr. John Whiffen was the director and chairman of orthopedic surgery at the University of Wisconsin Medical School. So when we walked into church, here was my son with his sad face and his arm, and Dr. Whiffen says, are you okay if I look at him? Sure. So he grabs and looks at the wrist looks at the elbow and looks at the shoulder and grabs his arm, pulls it up over his head, and Josh started smiling. Dr. Whiffen looked at me and said, his shoulder was dislocated. I just put it back in. (laughs) Now, if you had been there and watched that, and my next response had been this, what are you doing? doing? This is a church. This isn't even the office. I didn't give you permission to fix the arm. You could have scared that kid. Don't expect me to pay you money for that. If I had responded that way, you would have said, that is inappropriate anger. 
That is not the way you, you should respond. You should respond by saying thank you and expressing all sorts of terms of appreciation because your son who was sad and in pain is now better and smiling. And I have to tell you what I really did was the latter. It wasn't the former. Have you ever seen somebody have an inappropriate display of anger? Probably. Um, our text this morning, we're going to see that. So if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to do the first two paragraphs in Luke 6. We don't get to the anger to the second paragraph, but the first paragraph introduces it, so we're going to read both paragraphs. If you would stand as you're able, and I will read from Luke chapter 6. Now on the Sabbath, while he, speaking of Jesus, was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some of the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered him, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any to eat but priests, and also gave it to those with him. And he, Jesus, said to them, the Pharisees, The Son of Man is Lord of of the Sabbath. And on another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him, but he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to, him, said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And the hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of God. Please be seated. The part of that passage that bothers us the most, that doesn't seem to fit, that causes us tension, is the Pharisees' reaction, right? I mean, here was a guy who has been a member of their flock for his whole life. He has come faithfully to the synagogue. He had a long-term disability. And now, as they watched before their very eyes, he was made whole. He was restored and they should have been rejoicing. Instead, they got furious. Why? Well, the fact is, it had nothing to do with the man that was healed. It had everything to do with the healer. They hated Jesus. So why did they hate Jesus so much? So much so that on <laughs> Saturdays, there were people following Jesus and his disciples around out in the, walking through the fields to notice that he was, and they were taking grain and eating it. In fact, they hated him so much that verse 7 specifically says they went to the synagogue to watch him, to spy on him, so that they could accuse him. That is not why one was supposed to go to the synagogue. 
I hope none of you are coming to church today to spy on others and try to find a way to accuse them. But that's why the Pharisees went that day. And all, of all Jesus' words and actions, the ones, at least in these two paragraphs, that infuriated him, infuriated them the most was found in verse 5, where Jesus said, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, to begin to understand their reaction, we need to understand two concepts. And the first is the concept of the Lord. This is Family Worship Sunday, so allow me to be a little silly. This is a bucket of cookies. I am the Lord of the cookies. I get to decide what happens to these cookies. If I want to eat them, I can eat them. If I want to give them away, I can give them away. Ace, Axel, how would you guys like a cookie? Anybody else want a cookie? Now, I'm not the Lord of when you get to eat these cookies. He's sitting here. I am the Lord of the cookies. Now, I'm out of cookies. Now, why were you not able to decide who got the cookies? Because you were not the Lord of the cookies. I was the Lord of the cookies. I was the boss. I was the authority. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the ruler, the authority, the boss of the Sabbath. And, and it was this claim of authority by Jesus that made the Pharisees so furious. But to totally understand the issue of authority here, we also underneath the second, underneath, we need to understand the second concept of Lord of the Sabbath, and that is the Sabbath. We'll, we'll look at three headings. First, what was the Sabbath? Now, I have to tell you, there's a whole sermon series that we're going to talk about the Sabbath coming up. I believe it's this fall. So I'm just going to scratch the surface today. You're just going to get a brief overview. We have to save some things for this fall. But it begins in chapter 2 of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, we read this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day... God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. And so God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. The time, excuse me, the timeline was something like this. Days one through six, God creates. End of day six, God completes. Day seven, God stops. Not because God was tired, just because he was finished. And then he blesses that day as holy. Now, did you notice that as I was reading Genesis, the word Sabbath never appeared there? In fact, the word Sabbath never appears in the book of Genesis. 
We don't get the word Sabbath until we get to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, if you remember, the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness, through the desert, and they don't have any food, and they're complaining to Moses. And so God says, Moses, I'm going to send manna. Here's what manna is, and here's the guidelines for how they're going to go get manna in the morning. For five days, they go and get whatever manna they're going to eat that day, and they can't take any extra, but they have to take enough. But on day six, they should harvest twice what they need, and here's why. Moses tells them, because tomorrow is a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Exodus 16, the first time the word Sabbath was used. And from then on, the term Sabbath was used regularly by the Jews to describe that seventh day. Now, the actual word Sabbath means to cease or to end or to rest. The Sabbath was intended as a gift. It was a good gift, a good blessing given to mankind. It was a day when they could cease work and worship and rest and get away from the distractions and activities of the previous six. It was a day to focus, to refresh and focus on God's goodness. And there are many examples of people that did this. The guidelines are spelled out clearly in Exodus 20. When I say Exodus 20, you should right away think the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments is commandment number four. Exodus 20, verse 8 says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Did you notice it's left quite general? All it tells us is, don't work, keep it holy. I was surprised this week to find that as I looked through the whole Old Testament, nowhere in the Old Testament does it make it more specific than that. It never really defines what work is. Now, this commandment was given not as a rule to make that day tougher. This commandment was given as a protection to keep that day good, to keep that day, the Sabbath, a gift. And that's what the Sabbath was. Now, let's look at what the Sabbath had become, because by the time of Christ, huge changes had taken place. By the time of Christ, the Sabbath was um, a tool It was a tool to measure just how spiritual all those other Jews were. In fact, it was more than a tool. It was a weapon. It was a weapon used against Jesus by the Pharisees. The Sabbath had become a cause for spying. It was no longer a good thing it was intended to be. It certainly was no longer seen as a gift. Instead, now the Sabbath was draped with rules and commands that are not even found in Scripture. Look at verse 2 of Chapter 6, the Pharisees said, what you are doing is not lawful. Oh, really? Where in Scripture does it say they shouldn't be harvesting? There is no place in any place in the Bible where it says that. But the Jews had what was called the Talmud. The Talmud was a compilation of rabbinic teachings. And it contained all the rules that they wanted to add to Scripture And in the Talmud at that time, there were 39 different prohibitions 
against the Sabbath. And harvesting grain was one of those. Some of you are going to have this little yellow thing on there. You'll see, uh, you can check off someone who speaks two or more languages. Well, you're going to be able to check that today because you're going to learn a new word. Those 39 prohibitions in the Talmud are called the Melakot. Melakot. 39 different, it became 39 different categories of rules, not just specific rules, of work that was prohibited. It was very involved. And to know all those 39, you had to study a long time. And to follow all 39 was even harder. I went online pretending I was an Orthodox Jew to see what laws from the Melachot still applied today. What should good Orthodox Jews practice today on Sabbath? I found that you can use tooth powder, but you may not squeeze tooth from a toothpaste tube on Sabbath because that was work. I found that you could not tear toilet paper because that's work. Now, it's easy for us to sit here and go, oh, am I glad I'm not a Jew? That is so ridiculous. That is so... Hold it. Let's stop for a second. Haven't we mirrored our Jewish friends? In an effort to protect what is good for us today, it's Sunday, God's day, and I'm giving us the benefit of the doubt and saying that was our intent, to promote rest, promote good, promote worship. We instituted rules for Sundays, and we made these rules into laws, and they are called blue laws. Now, perhaps blue laws are more common for your grandparents, but I want you to know that these laws I'm going to tell you right now are still in the books right now. On Sunday in Alabama, you are not allowed to play dominoes. That's a law. In Idaho, on Sunday, you are not allowed to ride a merry-go-round. In New Hampshire, you're not allowed to run machinery of any kind on Sunday. Well, okay, I, I guess I can maybe see where that one came from. South Carolina, you are not allowed to sell a musical instrument on Sunday. This and you'll like. In Oregon, ministers who are preaching on Sunday are not allowed to eat onions and garlic before a sermon. Okay, that makes some, <laughs> that makes some sense. In Columbus, Ohio, you are not allowed to buy or sell cornflakes. Last one. This one is so amazing. I want you to know that our friends in Ohio have recently taken this one off the books. It is not law anymore, but it was up to a few years ago. In a picture where Ohio is geographically, okay? In Ohio, there is no fishing for whales on Sunday. <laughs> now, I don't know... Which is worse, to outlaw it on Sunday or to try to do it the other six days? But it just... And these are funny. And we laugh. And we should laugh. But what we've done is taken something that God gave us as a blessing and turned it into a bit of a joke. More seriously, like the Pharisees in the Sabbath, Sunday has become for us, or at least to some of our preceding generations, a way for us to test each other's spirituality by what we may and may not do, just like the Sabbath. And perhaps Sunday has become a tool or a weapon or a gauge 
but it's not what it was intended to be. It was intended to be a good blessing from God for the benefit of his people. So that's what the Sabbath was. We looked at what the Sabbath had become. Now Jesus is going to talk about what the Sabbath could be. In our passage today, and in fact all through Jesus' ministry, he is very intent on changing back and getting back to the Sabbath the way it was originally intended. It was something good. And so let's look briefly at the two examples in Luke. The harvesting of grain on the Sabbath, the first five verses. First of all, we need to understand, and kids, you need to listen here. When I was your age and I heard this sermon about taking wheat and rubbing, I thought, well, they did something wrong. They stole the wheat. That's not what's going on here. In that culture, you were allowed, as you're walking along the road, any place along the road, there's an apple tree. I'm allowed to take an apple. There's a wheat field. I'm allowed to eat the wheat. Travelers were encouraged to do that. Everybody knew that was okay. The problem isn't that they stole. The problem is the Pharisees thought that this action right here was work. And so they said, you can't do that. The Pharisees saw harvesting as work. It was one of those 39 categories in the Melakult. And Jesus' argument with the Pharisees when they confront him and his disciples on this doesn't seem to have anything to do with the Sabbath. He starts telling them about David and his men back when they were in battle and fleeing and eating holy bread. What is your point, Jesus? Jesus' point was this. It was okay for David to eat that bread. Why was it okay? Well, some say it was okay because David was, in fact, not just a king, he was also a priest. 2 Samuel chapter 6, David takes on priestly attire and performs priestly duties, so he was allowed to eat. Others say no, that David, as God's anointed king, and as king, he had the authority to make exceptions for his men while they were serving him. And just like David was right eating the bread, Jesus says, so also I am Lord of the Sabbath. I can supersede those rules that the Pharisees have laid on the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Pharisees would have said, no, you can't say that. Only God can say that. And you know what? They were right. But what they didn't get is that he was God. When Jesus said, I am Lord of the Sabbath, he was claiming to be God, and they were persuaded that answer was not an option that wasn't going to fit into their box, however he packaged it. And so their natural response was angry. And so they're already upset because the way he talked to them about the field and the wheat, and from now on the Pharisees are looking for another chance to get him, and they don't have to wait long because you get to the second example, the healing of the man's hand on the Sabbath day, verse 6 and on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Anything wrong with that? Rabbis teaching in the synagogue on Sabbath. That's what rabbis were supposed to do. Jesus is not breaking any Sabbath law so far. Then the commentary, verse 7, lets us know why the Pharisees were there. It says, spying and seeking a reason to accuse him. To go to the Sabbath with that intent is to violate the whole purpose and idea of the Sabbath. They weren't going to worship God. They weren't going to meet with God. They were going to spy on a rabbi. I like verses 8 through 10. Notice Jesus' actions here. Knowing their thoughts, 
He knows they're there to catch him and to accuse him. And so he, is not, he goes out of his way not to break any of their rules. Does he do some work like mixing mud and water in this miracle? No, he doesn't. doesn't do anything that they that can accuse. Does he require anything of the man he heals, like take up your bed and walk? No. Does he charge any payment? For? No. Rabbis were allowed to talk in the synagogue on Sabbath. And so Jesus, the rabbi, looks at the man and says, stretch out your arm. That's it. And the man does it. He doesn't break any Sabbath rules at all. And are they pleased that he hasn't broken any Sabbath rules? No. They get angry because he shows their hearts for what they are, even as he asks them, listen, is it lawful to do good or to evil on the Sabbath? Is it, is it better to save a life or to destroy a life? And so by asking that, he uncovers their hearts. The man is healed. Why? Because he obeyed. Did that man come to the Sabbath that day with the intent to be healed? Did he know he was going to be healed? No. Was he hurt by the Pharisees for not caring for him? We aren't told. He might, might have been because the Pharisees were, were trained to believe that someone had a deformity like that. It was because of some sin that they or, family, they or their family had committed. So the Pharisees blamed this on him. But we aren't told that he was hurt, and I imagine when he was healed, the joy he felt from being healed overpowered anything else. When he came to the synagogue that day, was he surprised at Jesus' apparent disregard of the rules of the Pharisees? Again, we're not, we're not told, but he certainly approved of the outcome. What Jesus was saying is here's what the Sabbath could be. Here's what the Sabbath should be. A day to do good, not a day for harm. A day to save life, not to destroy. It should be a day of blessing and holiness and celebration and healing, not a day of pain and darkness and sadness. And just like David, who had the authority to determine when the bread could and couldn't be eaten, so he, as the Son of God, has the authority to rule the Sabbath. He's saying, I am here to make this happen, that is, to return the Sabbath to its original intent. As I was preparing for this sermon, I talked to some people on our church staff, and then I was at a conference a couple weekends ago with a whole bunch of pastors and their wives, and I asked them this question. When I say Sabbath day, do you think first, ah, good thoughts? Or do you think first, oh, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that? As I asked people in leadership at churches, what's the first thing that comes to their mind when I say Sabbath day? Only two thought of the positives first. Everybody else thought of the negatives first. Well, Sabbath is when I can't do this and I can't do this and when I can't do this. That's a sad reality. And so I ask you, what does Sabbath mean to you? Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. We're going to close with this. Some implications to Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. First implication, 
those wanting to be in authority will become angry. In our text, that was the Pharisees. They wanted to be in authority. I guarantee you in your life, you're going to have some people who will want to be in authority. They will want to control your life. They will want to be the ones that influence you to have the power and the control. Don't be surprised when they become angry. And I wrote that. And then I stopped and said, Kevin, is that ever you? Do I like authority? Do I like control? Do I like to set the agenda? Do I like to make the rules? And when God's plan is a little different from my plan, do I ever get angry? Mm. Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Those that want to be in authority might become angry. Number two, man-made rules are not to be our focus. If Jesus is our authority, legalism is out. This passage is a good example of that. Like me, many of you here have been raised or have lived for many years under the weight of legalism. Remember the church that I grew up, I wouldn't have identified them as Pharisees at that point, but looking back, there were well-intended people who were always reminding me what I should be doing in church and should be doing on the Sabbath and shouldn't be doing on, well, on Sunday. And I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say they were well-intended, but what they did became hurtful, and what was intended for good became evil Instead of focusing on a list of rules, we should be focusing on Christ. At the end of the sermon today, we're going to sing, In Christ Alone. That's what Jesus was saying when he claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. Third implication, since he is our authority, we can trust him. He is God. He is good. He is all-powerful. He knows all. He's loving. He has a plan. He's the very best. He's the authority. He will bring it to pass. If all those things are true, and are they? Yes, they are. Then we can trust him. This week, I went to the hospital and visited five different people. Some of them are not doing very well. Their future is uncertain. And two of those that I talked to this week could not praise God enough. I was just amazed. They are so much relying and trusting in the authority of Jesus that they were fine. I can trust God whatever he's got for me. That was a lesson for me. We can trust him. Number four, since Jesus is our authority, salvation exists only as a gift. You don't get salvation by adherence to a bunch of rules. The man with the withered hand only got healed through faith. It was a gift. That's, that it's a gift is something that we can rest in. But that's the only thing we can rest in is that it's a gift. Um... What's the right way to respond to someone in authority? Surrender. But we hate this position, don't we? We don't like to surrender. We like to be in control, to dictate what happens to ourselves. And when somebody else is the authority, we surrender the rights to them. And you know what? When we surrender, we have real freedom. That's a paradox. When we surrender to him, we have real freedom. Finally, last implication of Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, and I'm going to use his words, not mine. 
Mark chapter 2, verse 27 says this. Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he meant was the Sabbath is to be a blessing. The Sabbath is not to be a burden. It is a gift. Do you see it as a gift? We're going to have this series coming up in the fall and on the Sabbath, and we're going to find out that Jesus is not saying, well, the Sabbath is eliminated now that I'm here. You know, that's what some people think. Now we're in the New Testament. The Sabbath is an Old Testament. He's not going to say that. He's not going to say the Sabbath isn't important. A lot of us think that the Sabbath is an, it's an old idea. We don't need to worry about that. No, what Jesus is going to say is the Sabbath is good, and it's a blessing, and it's a benefit, and it's a gift to us, and it's a gift for us. Have we taken advantage of it? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for giving us Sabbath. In our culture, thank you for giving us Sunday. But dear God, the idea of, of getting away and worshiping and resting and refreshing, this is a good thing. Dear God, we thank you so much for that. Help us to be thankful all the time. But we also reminded that it's a gift from you. It's not something we can earn. And so we thank you there's salvation that comes through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with us today. If you'd like more information on our church or a place to connect, you can check us out on the web at findliberty.net.